G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Joining me on the line right now is Joel McCarrow. He's the Tear Australia Artist Ambassador for Tears Justice Conference, which is on in Melbourne this weekend. Joel is a, creati- a creativity specialist, a writer, a performance poet and a speaker. And uh, I've, uh, I'm curious to know a bit about um, his background. We're going to hear a bit of his story today. Welcome along, Joel. How are you, mate? I'm doing very well, very well indeed. How are you? Very good. Thank you for joining us. And uh, oh, absolute pleasure. For those who haven't heard your story, let's find out a bit of your background. Where were you born and raised, mate? Sure. I'm a I'm a Wollongong boy, actually, New South Wales. Um, which hopefully the fires aren't doing too much to today mm. uh, down that way. But um, yeah, so I, I grew up in Wollongong uh, in uh, till I was about. Well, out of high school, maybe 22 or something like that. I then moved down to Melbourne and spent the last 15 years in Melbourne. Okay, and tell us a bit about your, yeah. your faith journey. You had a religious upbringing? I did, yeah. So I was, um, I grew up in kind of a, a conservative um, uh, evangelical household, I suppose you could say. Uh, from a, We went to, a, you know, I suppose, a contemporary, seeker-sensitive kind of Anglican church, down Sydney Anglican-style contemporary church. Uh, so my life, I, I definitely grew up um, around kind of the, the way that I'd phrase it is the Macaro kitchen table was kind of a beautiful table of love and sharing about God and uh, what it looks like to um, to be a Christian in this world and follow Jesus, all that kind of thing. That was that was where it all began for me, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful. And you, you uh, served as a youth pastor for a while, I hear. I did, yeah. So I've always, I'd always kind of felt from a very young age, it felt kind of a call to go into... Uh, seeking to impact people's lives and, and uh, at the beginning that kind of went into youth work and, and then as a youth pastor at an Anglican church up there um, in Wollongong and um, yeah, my life was, was very focused around kind of ministry and, and I ended up then going to theology college and that kind of stuff and then somehow in the midst of that poetry took over my life if you can believe that <laughs> um, but that's kind of what happened <laughs> I'd love to hear how that happened Tell us how you got into poetry Sure. So, um, uh, actually, I, I, I'd kind of written very cringe factor poetry during my high school years, <laughs> uh, which many of us do. Uh, well, some of us do. I think high schools don't teach poetry too well these days, but they're starting to turn around, which is nice. Um, I, it was actually on the border of Thailand and Burma um, that I that I really started getting into writing. I went over there. Um, many I must have been, oh, I don't know, maybe twenty, twenty-one, something like that. Uh, at that point in my life and uh, went over there and was doing some work on the at a um, a refugee a kind of a um, orphanage called the bamboo school for refugees would come across the border from out of Burma who had just seen kind of their whole tribes wiped out and and similar to our government here sadly the the Thai government said we we won't take you as citizens and so this lady started this orphanage on the border of Thailand and Burma there and I went and spent some time and my first experience uh, working at this orphanage, I arrived just as a uh, as a lady arrived with her baby boy that she'd been seeking medical attention for on on her back, and um, had carried this little boy on her back. And as as she arrived, she realised that this this little baby boy had just died. And um and I I kind of arrived as she arrived, uh, I arrived to this wailing 
crying woman and my first job there at the orphanage was to go up to walk up this little jungle bamboo path in the in this bamboo jungle and and to dig a grave for um for this baby boy and to bury this baby boy and it just uh, to be honest with you it kind of shattered my world um i kind of grew up in a very comfortable uh, what i'd call like a, a white um very upper middle class comfortable lifestyle i hadn't really experienced the reality of the world around me and i just i got angry like I got angry at God. How, how could how could God let this happen? I got angry at our society, Western society, at my upbringing, and I needed some way to kind of process actually through through what I was feeling. And, and I remember sitting there just just writing, and it kind of came out as poetry. Writing there in this little bamboo hut, listening. I could hear gunfire, machine gunfire in the in the valleys over in Burma, and um and it kind of came out as poetry, and it all began there, uh, and then kind of everything kind of took off and, and ran from there and kind of poetry taking over my life. But it really began as this way for me to process through this, this full-on thing that I was experiencing. Mm, well, I can really relate to that's, that picture you just painted. I, I did my yeah. first ever mission trip to Cambodia at the age of 33, and right. we also went up to the Thai-Burmese border, and I remember yeah. visiting this beautiful little village and these people were in these little bamboo huts and I remember at like three in the morning this rooster woke us all up. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, this is, you know, the extreme poverty uh, that yeah. uh, that I saw there. It really shocked me, you know, because like you, I was raised in a good Christian household and, you know, I had a good understanding of, of God at a young age. But when I saw that extreme poverty, I also wrestled with it. I remember coming back to Australia having reverse culture shock, thinking, yeah, oh, we've yeah. got to sell everything. We've got to move over. We've, you know, we've, got to, we've got to stop living, you know. Um, is, that, is that the same kind of feeling you had? You, you just had to write it down, hey? Absolutely, yeah. I, it was one of those experiences. I kind of call it a movement from – actually, I've written, I've written about it in the book that we'll maybe chat about in a bit, but I um, – I kind of call it my movement that, that moved me from what I call my sculpted self, my kind of sculpted faith, who I am as sculpted kind of by kind of the nurturing community that's around me, the church that was around me, the family that I grew up in, um, where, where the sculpted kind of faith is where we believe what we believe because we've been told to believe it. And I, I followed Jesus and I went to Bible study and youth group and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then this hit and a few other experiences around the same time. And it was like, um, it was like my uh, the world that I'd grown up in, which I kind of, in, in the book again, I call one of my favorite sayings in the world is a fish in a bowl doesn't know that it's wet. Mm. Fish in a bowl doesn't know that it's wet. That we kind of swim around in our, in our cultural environment. We have no idea how the water is actually shaping us. And this experience, it felt like a, like a sledgehammer to my fishbowl. It kind of shattered what I thought reality was and made me really question my, uh, how I was living in the world and what, what kind of following Jesus looked like in the world. And so I, it, it all began to kind of, in some sense, it, my, my poetry and my creativity really began then, but also my, what I would call kind of unraveling of the faith that I knew also began at that point. And I had to work out how do I, how do I hold this, the, the complexity of the world together? Like when we grow up, things are simple. When you experience things like that and see the world around us, it can be a really, um, a really shattering and unraveling experience. So, um, yeah, that was definitely that experience for me. And your new book is not a poetry book. Uh, it's called it's Woven, not, no. it's Woven, a Faith for the Dissatisfied. Tell us about the heart behind the book. Yeah, sure. So it's, it's kind of really is about those times when, when we experience things like uh, I had experienced over on the Thai-Burma border or around the same time. I also remember one of the stories I really focus in on in the book is I had this, um, 
I remember going along to a drop-in center to a uh, for street workers for for prostitutes to come in off the street and have a um have a meal and get cleaned up and um and have a chat with someone before they go back out on the street again. A beautiful ministry that this church was doing and and I'd never gone to anything like this before. And I went along and I remember washing dishes with with one of the ladies and. Uh, after we had a meal together and just thinking to myself, you know, this is the first time that I've, that I've spent really any time with the people that Jesus spent all of his time with. This was, this was about the same time as I had this experience over in Thailand and Burma. And, and again, it was one of those confrontational moments where everything just kind of unraveled. And, and I, I then went on the process of working out, well, what, is, what, is, what does this Christianity look like? What does it actually look like to follow Jesus uh, in our world? That it's got a, there's a guy named Donald Miller who says, what we say we believe is not what, we, is not what we believe, it's what we do. That's what we actually believe. It's how we spend our money and our time and our energy and our focus. And, and I realized, like, I was just, what I really believed was, was the Western dream. Um, another guy named Robert Weber says most Western Christianity has sadly become the Western dream with a thin overlay of Jesus. And so the book kind of, the book kind of looks at how do we then go through these times and, and wrestle with this kind of the faith that we grew up in when it's hard to, when we see kind of sometimes when it's hypocrisy in the church or, um, or we see maybe the church playing a political game, or we look at the scriptures and it's and it seems Jesus, the life of Jesus seems so different to what we see, or or maybe we just go through a hard time and we lose someone who is dear to us, and we question God and we doubt and we wrestle and we struggle. The heart of the book is how do we do that healthily? How do we do that well? How do we how do we go through? Some people call it the journey of deconstruction, kind of questioning and challenging and and being okay with where we're at in doing that, not feeling like we're we're going off the deep end, but actually knowing God God can handle that. God holds us during those times. God wants us to ask those questions, to challenge, to wrestle, to struggle, so that we come to kind of what I call our uh, our woven faith, which is the, the title of the book, Woven. Kind of un- out of those unraveled threads of our lives, can we find a new weave uh, of our faith where where we don't have to kind of the, the unravel time is, is a time of pointing a lot of accusatory fingers back at our nurturing communities, back at the the church we grew up in and things like that. But can we actually, the way that I phrase it in the book, how do we, um, how do we hold on to the, the, our beliefs? How do we not throw the baby of faith out with the bathwater of cultural Christianity? How can we hold on to our faith? And, and it, it might look different to the, the faith and the understanding that we grew up within, but there's so many people, so many young people. So I've done, as I said, work uh, as a youth pastor and then went on to, to run a lot of, stuff in, in different theology colleges around youth work and and there's so many young people who just are trying to work out how to hold it together the complexities together in the world in which we live and so the book is how do we really how do we hold these unraveling threads together and hold on to our faith and own our faith and and live out this this expansive story of god's kingdom so joel my next question i really want to ask you about is what's the difference mm. between slam poetry and rap is that they kind of the same oh, thing brother question <laughs> That's a good question. Well, what we so those of us in kind of the slam poetry scene, which I have been for a long time now, we, what we actually would say was is that slam poetry is not specifically a genre. Often people think of slam poetry as a genre of poetry, like like rap might be. So rap rap actually stands for rap R A P rhythm and poetry is kind of the heart. So rap is is poetry just to a to a beat, a uh, syncopated beat and and rhythm and rhyme schemes. Um, but uh, slam poetry, kind of not as a genre, it's, it's actually more slam poetry we would call the competition of 
of performance poetry or, or spoken words. So uh, the guy named Mark Smith who started um, kind of slam poetry as a competition over in the States in uh, I think it was the 60s or 70s or something like that. Uh, as a way to kind of make make poetry readings engaging um, and and interesting, and so the the slam poetry side of it is actually the competition. I, I'm the host actually of the these days of the Australian National Poetry Slam Championships in in for Victoria, and uh, we just had the the Australian Nationals recently, and and at the the finals is at the Opera House, um, which is an, an amazing thing to be at. Uh, so the the different there's there's they. Slam poetry can look like and sound like a whole lot of stuff. It could be quite a, you could get up and do a, um, a kind of a bush ballad if you wanted to, or you could get up and drop a rap and that would still be counted as slam poetry. So it's not a specific genre, it's more the, the competition side of performance poetry. Very cool, mate. And do you have to have dreadlocks to be a good slam poet? Uh, well, did you know that I actually only about three or four days ago, I cut my dreadlocks off? Wow. So I'm sitting here talking to you de-dreaded right now, which is for the first time in 13 years, I no longer have dreadlocks. <laughs> I bet your mum and dad are proud of you. <laughs> they are. They're actually they're down here from London at the moment, and they were excited by it. I'm sure my, my grandma would be rejoicing in her grave right now as well. My nana, she was, she was always wanting me to get rid of those things. But, uh, but the, the last haircut I ever had actually was for my wedding. So 15 years ago was my wedding haircut. That's the last time I walked into a hairdresser till... About three or four days ago, I got it all cut off. And and tell us why. Well, it was just it was a it just felt like it was about time. I think my my wife had kind of put up with them for enough many years of any time I'd turn in bed, she could be faced with a whip in the eye or something <laughs> like that. Uh, and I think so. She was pretty done with them, and and I was I was ready to be done as well. And it's such a it's actually such a lovely feeling. Who would have thought running your hands through your hair could feel so good? But when you've had when you haven't been able to do it for 13 years, it's quite an experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone would like to join the conversation, you can call now. Joel McKero, a writer, performer, and educator, and creative specialist. You can call through 1-800-316-316. And, mate, seeing as how we've talked about your slam poetry, you're going to have to mm. share one of your poems with us, hey? I could do that, absolutely, yeah. Do you want me to do that now? Yeah, go for it, mate. Sure, this is a, a poem that I wrote. Similar, it's kind of on similar themes to what we were talking about before the last song, um, kind of about me seeing the reality of the world and trying to wrestle with that and trying to find hope within it and where I go to to find hope within it. It's called Do Not Despair. There is too much pain here. Have you seen it? Or, or not seen it as much as felt it? Let the broken wrap around you like chain, like heavy chain, like sorrow. There is too much sorrow here. It gets under your skin and in your eyes, a dark lens, and everything seems hopeless these days. Everything seems hopeless. The little girls taken as sex slaves, a suicide behind detention center fences, a black man shot, a little boy washed up on a beach, a wife beaten, the president, his grabby hands, and how we just bluff off abuse from those who are in power, the incarceration of color, and always, always the starving children or just the people my government still keeps imprisoned on an island called Nauru. Sometimes I just don't know what to do. Despair is an absence, and I can feel useless in its blankness. And yet, friends, my daughter still makes me smile. And my son, he makes me laugh. 
Yeah, the girl who was raped, on the day that I met her, she would not stop giggling and tickling her brother, both of them lost in a rapture, deeper than I could ever know. Yet the girl with the HIV scabs all over her body on the dirty streets of Kampala, she would not stop laughing and pulling faces at me, her revelry, a refusal in the face of all that would stand against her. Yet the boy in Burma who had just seen his family shot, he still loved to play paper, rock and scissors. He would beat me every time. Yet the children still chase each other daily through the bombed out buildings of the broken city. They do not realize, so they do not let the delight die. Yet they fly kites, yet they dance, yet they dream, yet the mothers still sing. And I have heard their song and it sounds like hope and it sounds like jubilation. And I do not understand it. Still, joy resides here where she should not be. There she thrives more vibrant than anything. So if, if these fractured friends, if they may still smile, then I too must find a place of gladness, lest I deny them the delight they have to feel. I too must appreciate the way the day always begins with colour, the way the flowers grow, the way the words taste, the way the afternoon sun warms my skin, the way she lets me in. I too must hold hands with delight and kiss the extravagance to revel in this existence, to not despair, to see that beauty, she is everywhere folded into every dark thing. May our lives be a chasing of the beautiful, not a taking of the light into the darkness, but recognizing she already resides there. So let us chase the light and find the light and swim the light and taste the light and love the light, dance the light, become the light, even in the night when the sun is cast upon a heavy moon. Friends, do not despair for this light this life, this joy, this love, they are everywhere, folded deep into every dark thing. Wow. That is yeah, Joel McCarrow, uh, writer, performer, educator, and creative specialist. I think that might be the first time we've had slam poetry on Vision Radio, mate. Well done. Oh, really? Oh, you need to get some more <laughs> of it on there, for sure. <laughs> we may have had some in the past. Certainly the first time I've had uh, uh, someone doing slam poetry, but uh, yeah. uh, very creative, mate. How does that come to you? How do you write that stuff? Well, I mean, there's a number of different ways for me, but um, as, a, as a performance poet, I mean, sitting in there with the, the topic of this one, uh, is kind of taking whatever's rumbling around in me, in my heart, in my gut, in my head, whatever I'm feeling, and and just allowing myself to to reflect on it, to not back away from it. Kind of especially the the darker stuff of life. Often we want to back away from that and and kind of not go into that. But I think performance poetry and creativity, whether it's songwriting or whatever, actually calls us to to go into the darkness and to look at the darkness and reflect on times of despair or loneliness or shame or whatever it might be, and, and to write out of that. So it's actually about kind of diving. The guy named John O'Donoghue says that poetry is, is a fascinating conversation with your unknown self. It's like I just spend some time diving into the world that is me, and then out of that I, 
um, what I actually do is I force myself to write every day. As a, as, as a creative discipline, I write a poem every day. And most of that poetry, here's, here's the thing, the secret to writing poetry. Let me give it to you, to all you listeners out there who might be like, oh, I want to write some poetry. The secret is this. The secret to writing good poetry is actually to stop trying to write good poetry. Uh, it's to allow yourself to write to write crap poetry, to write bad poetry, to to allow yourself just to flow out onto the page, whatever you're expressing, and then later on, it's, it's to take that and edit that and construct that up as a poem. But often to start with, we we start too soon in our editing brain, and our negative inner critic kind of gets gets really loud in that space, and we end up writing a line and crossing it out, and writing a line, and crossing it out, and throwing out uh, heaps of crumpled up pieces of paper and my process is actually just to allow myself to flow onto the page and, and whatever comes out as good or bad makes sense or anything like that. I don't judge it. The first draft is meant to be bad and then I find the good stuff within it and that's what I craft into, into a final piece like you, just, you guys just heard. Um, that's kind of a bit of my process, yeah. And Joel, before we get back into your story, mate, around Australia, uh, there's, mm. uh, you know, this catastrophic fire threat uh, in New South yeah. Wales and Queensland. So many people uh, really uh, doing it tough today. I thought yeah. we should just pause together and, and pray for our nation together this morning, mate. Are you sure. okay to lead us in some prayer? Yeah, totally. No worries. I can do that. Uh, Father, Son and Spirit, we um, we just sit in the pain that Australia is feeling today and um, and I have no idea what it is uh, to lose a house or a loved one um, and have only had small experiences of, of feeling that uh, the, the terror of something like a bushfire heading towards you. And, um, I just pray that you would be with uh, the people who are suffering today, um, people who have lost homes, uh, people who have lost loved ones, uh, and people who are working out whether, when to flee and uh, whether to evacuate and uh, people who have left left their homes and are staying somewhere else. God, um, there's a whole lot of anxiety and stress and panic and pain and suffering, and uh, we know that, that that's where you meet us, God, in those places. So, God, would, would you be present today uh, in the midst of all of that uh, in, in those individuals' lives, in those families' lives, um, would you hold them and take care of them and have your hand upon them? And, and as we head into, um, into the next day or two, I don't know what the, the weather's meant to be, God, but would you uh, have your hand upon what is happening here? Um, may we uh, care for those who we can care for. Um, yeah, would you be present, God, with them in your name? Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Joel. And uh, right. we will continue to be praying uh, for those all around our nation. And uh, if you do want to join the convers- conversation today, you can call through on 1-800-316-316. And uh, we've been talking about uh, Joel's role as uh, the Tier Australia Artist Ambassador. Uh, Joel, tell us a bit about Tier Australia. Sure. So um, I've been doing some stuff now with, with Tier for oh, a number of years now. Tier is uh, they're an aid and development organization here in Australia. There's a number of tier funds around the world that's kind of connected in some sense. Uh, but here Australia, really the heart of and focus is, um, is, uh, both in, it's kind of twofold. One is, is the focus on working, working with really the poorest of the poor all around the world, people who are, um, suffering through the effects of, um, through the effects of climate change, through the effects of, 
poverty through the effects of um, kind of the incredible amount of plastic pollution that we put into the world. Uh, and, and really, Tier is on about getting getting alongside and, and on the with with kind of the organisations that are on the ground doing the work. So organisations that are run by nationals in places like Bangladesh and Nepal and lots of different places. Uh, and really supporting and empowering them in the work that they are doing, not thinking that we as kind of um, white fellas can come over and, and dump our um, our ways onto these different cultures, but actually supporting uh, from from the grassroots, from the ground up, how can they, um, the people on the ground, really be empowered and supported to um, to bring about change within their communities and to uh, to do that. And also, T works a lot within kind of the Australian context as well, really trying to move, um, like there's been a lot more discussion around uh, social injustice, I think, within the church over the last uh, number of years and also around the environment and kind of care for creation, this beautiful world that God has made. Uh, often, often what we see, though, with churches is that it kind of we kind of leave it almost as a point of charity, like I'll give some money to this thing, um, I'll, I'll do this. But in terms of actual uh, kind of effectual change, just, just charity is not going to actually change the world. It will help certain things for a time, but we can we kind of need to structure our whole lives, which I think is actually the call of the gospel. And what, what Tia would kind of be on about is the call of the gospel to structure our lives around God's dream for the world. Uh, the the kingdom of God, a, a kingdom of justice and equality, um, uh, being present on this world. What does that look like for us to give our lives to that? To move beyond charity and think about what does that look like in terms of lifestyle change? Changing how I spend my money, changing how I spend my time, changing uh, how I engage with even our waste products and recycling, and just all the small different things that we often don't think about, but really are, are essential to our Christian faith. So, to kind of really uh, seeks to move people beyond just charity to engaging in, in lifestyle change around issues of, of social justice. Well, it's wonderful to hear uh, such a great organisation uh, doing such a great work. And, uh, mm. of course, the Tears Justice Conference is on this weekend in Melbourne, and uh, okay. I know you're going to be a part of that. Um, and I'm just curious to know a bit more about your... Uh, personal uh, faith journey. You shared a bit before about, yeah. you know, you were raised in an Anglican church, you you went overseas and, and, you know, everything changed a lot once you saw the extreme poverty and you went through all these tough times. Uh, let's yeah. talk a bit about your um, personal devotions with God's Word. T- tell us a bit about how sure. God's Word informs you and, and how you, uh, you know, have, have your time with the Lord every day. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think, and part of, the, part of the big change, I think, that happened for me, uh, throughout that time that I was talking about before of kind of questioning and challenging that unraveling and then seeking seeking how do I um, find a new weave in my life of those unraveled threads. Definitely a big part of that is how I read the scriptures and how I engage with, with God's word. I think um, often we kind of, we can read the scriptures in my, in my growing up years, we can read the scriptures and we kind of just uh, focus on pulling out uh, a particular verse to back up something that I believe like a, a bullet verse that I can use to um, to prove something that I that I believe, and my kind of my sitting with the scriptures has really changed, uh, especially maybe especially as well as a poet uh, and reading kind of the beautiful. I love to sit in the beautiful poetry within the scriptures, sitting with um, with these experiences and these stories of of um, really broken people just like me, trying to work out, struggle, and wrestle how to 
one, how to follow God, but two, also, uh, like I think of the lament psalms and lamentations and all these experiences where people are, uh, where David and, and the people of God in general are just going through such um, hard things and, and seeing such hard realities in our world and them being under, under oppression, whether it's from Rome or from uh, Babylon during the exile um, or, or Egypt before that with the exodus, or what, whatever it is, is, the beautiful thing for me and what I love about it when my poetry comes into it is there's always in the midst of these times of despair of where people could just lose the faith and throw everything out. It's actually creativity, songs of lament, psalms. It's, it's actually these psalms and these stories, these um, as a poet, again, as a storyteller, it, it's that that actually calls the people of God back to living out their true identity in the midst of exile, in the midst of um, being slavery in Egypt. It's it's the creatives, which is wonderful. It's the poets. So I love sitting in the poetry and the songs uh, and and out of that expressing my own sense of kind of the, the poem that I shared before, despair at the world and God, where are you in the midst of our world? And then coming back to a to a place of of hope as so many of our psalms do so really the so much of the the poetry of the bible has become a a thing for me that kind of grounds me one in in not ignoring the realities of the world or the realities of my life and then calling me uh into a, a position of hope into a place of hope as well so it's a it's a beautiful thing for me and uh, Joel, earlier on, you were sharing a bit about how you were volunteering at a drop-in centre where there were, you know, prostitutes and people coming in, getting yeah. some food and off the streets. Uh, it's yeah. a, an issue that's very close to my heart. I believe we should all be volunteering, serving somewhere, caring for the yeah. poor. Just tell us a bit about how that uh, experience impacted you. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, that experience and a whole lot of different experiences for me that um, have been recognizing that there's people all around us who are um, who are suffering in some sense, who are homeless, whether it's through mental illness or through just the the structure of our society that has not gone well for them. Um, and totally, I think that for us as Christians, like people who follow Jesus, uh, it's a necessity for us to be out there in the world, uh, engaging in different social um, social organizations, whether it's drop-in centers or soup kitchens or whatever it might be, volunteering, I think, is a crucial thing. And for me, it's uh, the, probably the big thing, actually, that I've realized in, in how it's shaped me is I've kind of gone into a bunch of different work, whether it's at soup kitchens or drop-in centers over the years. And what I've recognized time and time again is I kind of come to serve people and I come to help people. But what, what ends up happening inevitably is they're the ones who actually help me. Uh, they help me to see God differently. They help me to see the world differently. I kind of come, and me, again, being kind of a, a white male wanting to change the world and help the world, I can really easily fall into kind of rescuer mode, mm-hmm. uh, into into savior complex mode. And what I what I find wonderful about the experiences I've had with, with homeless people, with um, disadvantaged people, with people of different cultures, whatever it might be, is, I kind of have thought I've come to help them and they've been the one that have, I would say, saved me, helped me to recognize my own frailty, helped me to see how large and amazing God is. So this is when we help, when we engage and help with people in the world who are outside of our fishbowl, outside of our comfort zone, um, it's not just that we're helping them. Actually, we do it because we're changed in the very process and that can be a bigger change than just us kind of serving serving a meal to someone is we become changed in that moment. Mm. And as as you were just talking to Joel, it reminded me of 
the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know. The first two guys were too busy priesting and Leviting to, to yeah. stop for the one. Um, but yeah. it's, a, it's a powerful parable that's very applicable to us in, in Australia in 2019, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Uh, it's, an, it's, it's one of my favourite parables, actually, in the Scriptures, and, and I think what it calls us to, because uh, Jesus is telling it to the religious people, he's telling it to, um, to us, to religious people, and saying, and kind of drops the thing, like the, the two religious people walk past, and then it's the Samaritan, it's the one that they're not expecting is the one that's kind of the punch in the guts with this parable, is it's kind of one of the hated people of the, the Jewish, not hated, but really a whole lot of friction between them and the Samaritans, and it's, it's a Samaritan. How could a Samaritan be doing this? Um, it's a massive challenge for us who kind of think we have it together in some sense, and then recognizing... Oh, I often think of, I wonder what, I wonder the kind of who Jesus would be saying it would be today. Who was the one who would get down beside the man beaten today? Um, I have no idea who that might be, but it's an interesting kind of thought and question. Um, it wouldn't be a Samaritan, we don't have Samaritans today, but maybe for us, maybe for someone who's a, who's a left winger, it might be the good right wing person conservative who sits down next to the person or for the, for a right wing conservative it might be, oh, the, the leftist hippie, the greenie who sits next to the, I just, I like that challenge. It's a real cultural challenge for those people who we think is different to us. They're the ones that, that Jesus challenges and sits, they're the ones who sits down next to that man, which is brilliant. Mm. I love it how a story from 2000 years ago still speaks to us today and challenges us regularly. Um, yeah. The number of times I've nearly walked past someone and thought, oh, Jesus would stop for this dude. I better stop. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, that, right. that one story has impacted me. I, I, I knew it would have impacted you, Joel, from what I'm hearing today. So um, it's, it's a good one to remember. Now, we're, we're almost out of time, Joel, but if people do want to find out more about uh, your slam poetry, about your books, about your uh, ministry, tell us uh, what's the best way to, to find out. Sure. So the best place to go to would be to my website, to www.joelmcarrow.com, J-O-E-L-M-C-K-E-R-R-O-W. So there you can see I've got a whole lot of poetry videos there. Um, there's, a, there's a link there from, from my book as well, if you're interested, the uh, Woven, A Faith for the Dissatisfied, that book that, I, that I'm just releasing in a few days, actually, at the Justice Conference. Um, so there's a link to buy that from there, and you can hear my poetry albums, and I have other books and all that kind of stuff. So joelmacero.com, that's or and find me on social media on Instagram and Facebook and that kind of thing as well. They're the places for me. And if people want to go to the Tears uh, Justice Conference in Melbourne this weekend, it's November 15 and 16. What's the location? Uh, yeah, so the Justice Conference is down in in Melbourne. It's at the Exhibition Centre, so you can get tickets from thejusticeconference.com.au. Uh, or just look up Justice Conference Australia. There's definitely still tickets available. So um, it would be wonderful to have any Melbourne listeners or anyone who wants to change up their plans for the weekend and come down to Melbourne and, and go along. It's going to be a, a brilliant weekend with some really amazing speakers, um, people a few, people who are on the ground doing the stuff all over the world, um, engaging in, in social justice and reflecting on kind of a, a theology of social justice. I love the saying, doing the stuff. Uh, many years ago, yeah. I, was in, I was in a church called the Vineyard Church, which was started by a guy named John Wimber, and he would always say, we've got to do the stuff Jesus did. And, yeah, uh, right. it's, I'm a big John Wimber fan. Yeah, so true. We've got to make sure that uh, we don't just talk the talk, we walk the walk. And uh, Joel, it's been uh, awesome to be able to hear your story today. I pray the Lord will bless you and uh, continue to uh, raise you up to meet, meet, uh, reach many people uh, sharing uh, the good news. Uh, thanks for your time today, mate. God bless. 
Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. It's been great to be here. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.